Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Tim Kirkjian on the World Series Game 7 that awaits us. That's in 30 minutes. Tim, one of the best in the baseball business, will be dropping by live. One of our favorites on college football is here. He knew the game well as a player, NFL, but perhaps more famously as the national championship winning quarterback for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's part of the call for NC State's trip to Wake Forest on Saturday. We have a weekend that around here also includes UVA visiting UNC with first place in the Coastal at stake. Miami visits Florida State with those both those programs both down by their historic standards. Virginia Tech goes to Notre Dame. Nationally, the highlights are led by, I think, number eight Georgia visiting number six Florida in Jacksonville in one of those all SEC matchups. Greg McElroy, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? DG, what's up, buddy? I can't tell you how excited I am to talk to you. My last interview was about uh, uh, name, image, and likeness, so yeah. I'm really, really glad to turn the page. <laughs> so so should, should we give you one of those questions and then get into football? Because let's just say <laughs> a big chunk of my first hour with a statewide show, specifically in North Carolina, uh, did address sure. Senator Richard Burr's uh, proposal, you know, to go after those scholarships and make them taxable if those youngsters grab to the, for the free market in a way that he doesn't like. Well, the thing is, I mean, he has a point in theory. I'll start by saying that, but if he thinks that that's going to survive in a court of law, like that will be so fought against. I mean, you want to talk about unifying even people that are against name, image, and likeness uh, that have been completely against this rule in its entirety. People will fight tooth and nail to make sure that those scholarships are never taxable. And you look at the other things you receive as a student athlete too, on top of it all. I talk to people across the Power Five level every 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 week, and I ask them, okay, how much money are you spending up per student per year? They say we're spending about over a hundred grand yeah. per player per year. So think about, I mean, where are you going to come up with that money? Because basically, if they're giving it to you, it's taxable. But frankly, I don't have cash to pay for it. So you're basically taxing me for a tutor that I'm using in math 101, and I don't have cash to pay for it because you're giving it to me. It's a tangible benefit, but I can't. I have tax liability for it. So it's a, it's a ludicrous statement by Richard Burr. I understand the thought process of it because, you know, I, I think that there are a lot of people that are strongly against this name, image, and likeness deal, but it was not smart to go about it on Twitter and it is really, really not smart to go about it just knowing the, just the way the world has kind of changed and the way, way people have started to kind of adopt. Even if they don't like it, they recognize that change is necessary and, and progress is not something that you can avoid anymore. Given the uh, extra benefits that members of the United States Congress get in ways that are not taxable, uh, I found it even extremely hypocritical to go after this in that kind of way. Uh, Miami and Florida State play each other on Saturday. And if we talk to you, I don't know, probably at various points in the last 30 years, assuming you were old enough to be an expert by that point, uh, we would have been talking about national championship implications for the Hurricanes and the Seminoles. Now it's like, can either one or both even scratch and claw their way into a bowl game? As you look at the big picture, and the state of Florida has produced a whole lot of national champions and other great teams over the years. Is Willie Taggart and Florida State, are they closer to getting even to top 10 status or even top 25 status? Or is year one coach Manny Diaz uh, in, in his Hurricanes, are they at least closer in the longer run to getting back where those fan bases expect those teams to be? 
I don't think it's fair at this point to mention the initials N and C uh, when describing either one of those two programs right now. They're so far from that that it's just it's almost not even fair because it's reminding people of a time in which the landscape was different. And frankly, uh, Florida State and uh, I know they're only a few years removed from a national championship, but you want to talk about it feels like light years since 2013. So I don't think national championship is a fair representation of where those programs are. Um, I wouldn't say either one is close at all. Uh, I wouldn't even say either one is within striking distance. Yeah. They would need three or four good recruiting classes to even get into the conversation to be a perennial contender in the ACC, let alone the national championship picture. So uh, I think both programs are in a really tough spot right now. The one thing I will say as a silver lining and watching those teams play the last couple of weeks, man, at least they keep fighting. It'd be really easy to fold your tent at this point. It'd be really easy for both those programs to still in the negativity that surrounded their programs. It'd be really easy for those players to say, you know what, I'm going to take my ball and go home. But the effort on the tape is still there. Like, they're still playing hard, and I, I got to give them credit for that. So maybe they're not very good at this point. Maybe they're not very deep. Maybe they have issues at quarterback with both programs do. But at least they're playing hard, and that's a, I think that's, Probably the only thing I can really judge them on right now in regards to how I feel about their coaching staff and the direction the program's heading. The next two weeks, your old territory, the SEC, will be really in the big spotlights. This week, it's number eight Georgia against number six Florida uh, in Jacksonville. Both have one loss resumes as we speak, of course. And then next week, it'll be number one LSU visiting number two Alabama. Are we in a world now, Greg, where – Basically, three out of those four teams will still be in the national or the college football playoff picture come November 10th because the Georgia-Florida winner, right, is still in the mix as a one-loss resume. And the LSU-Alabama winner, of course, is in a driver's seat of sorts. But the loser kind of hangs around as well. Is that where we are? Yeah, I mean, I think just knowing the rest of the landscape, I mean, even let's just hypothetically say the, the teams that are favored win uh, in the next couple of weeks. Alabama is going to be favored over LSU. Let's say they win. Let's say that Georgia is favored over Florida. They win. Well, Georgia is obviously still in the driver's seat. You look at LSU and the wins that they've been able to reel off. A win against Florida is still pretty impressive, even though it takes a slight hit if they lose to Georgia. A win against Auburn is still pretty impressive. And people will still kind of count that win against Texas as being a pretty impressive win, even though I think that win is getting worse and worse by the week. So I think still when you look and compare apples to apples, Texas is Oklahoma's best win. Well, LSU beat them too, and they have a win against Florida on top of that. So I would have them ahead of Oklahoma, who would be a one-loss team who's still contending. I think you can look and say, well, let's compare them against Oregon. Let's say Oregon's a one-loss team that's still contending. Well, Oregon lost to Auburn. LSU beat Auburn. So I think that there are definitely areas in which you can compare apples to apples. And I, I still think even in a losing effort that LSU would certainly still be in the mix. And then going to Alabama's conversation, if Alabama were to lose to LSU, I think it'd be a little bit tougher because Alabama doesn't have as many marquee opportunities because Tennessee isn't as good. Right. Uh, A&M isn't as good. I mean, right now, Alabama's best win is Texas A&M. And I don't think A&M is going to be a team that we have a whole lot of respect for at season's end when you see who the Aggies still have to play on the road at Georgia and know they have to play LSU as well. So 
Uh, I think Alabama would have a little bit tougher time overcoming a loss, but knowing they still have Auburn looming and their historical relevance when it comes to the national championship picture, uh, I know that the committee is supposed to take a snapshot every week. I think their historical relevance would still have them ahead of Oklahoma. So uh, I look at it, and I think it's, it's a really tough thing to figure out, but the SEC is in a real position to strength with four teams right now that have a legitimate playoff chance when most other conferences really only have two. I don't know how much time, given that you watch a whole lot of teams in, in multiple leagues, you have to really bear down on the quarterback position, given that that's what you played at Alabama. But I wonder your thoughts to the degree that you see, uh, you know, the 14 ACC schools. In the preseason, most of the quarterback hype surrounded Trevor Lawrence of Clemson and Bryce Perkins of right. UVA. And a lot of folks believe that either Jamie Newman of Wake Forest or Sam Howell, the true freshman at UNC, uh, have right. been as good, maybe even better, than the bigger name Trevor Lawrence and Bryce Perkins. What have you seen? Well, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say that those guys have been better. Uh, I would say Howell's been a real treat, just knowing how young he's been and you know how he seems to be getting a little bit better. And I think the sky's the limit for that young man over the course of his career. But I, I wouldn't yet have him in the same conversation as that uh, of a Trevor Lawrence. I also think, too, that I, look, I love Jamie Newman. I think he's awesome. I have so enjoyed, so enjoyed watching him play the last couple of weeks and, and I, or the last couple months. And I, I think his best football is in front of him. But I almost think with what Sam Hartman did against Florida State, you can say, oh, shoot, well, maybe it's system-based. You know, <laughs> because Sam Hartman went in, didn't skip a beat, and played really well in the two games that he's played. Uh, this season. So I, I think Newman's excellent. Trevor Lawrence is still the bell of the ball, especially after last week's performance. I, I think that's what we've come to expect from Trevor Lawrence. And he was probably the subject of some probably unfair and unrealistic expectations coming into the season. Doesn't mean he's not, shouldn't be capable of more. Shouldn't mean he shouldn't play better than he has up until this point. But I think his best football is in front of him over the next few weeks. And, and uh, if he continues to play like they played last week against Boston college, uh, Clemson's going to be in the driver's seat yet again to potentially win another national championship. Our state tends to rarely be in the national championship picture, but uh, six and one Wake, whose game you'll have, does have a chance at one of the best records in the history of that program. Carolina is still in the mix for perhaps a run at a Coastal Division title as they host UVA this weekend. And then App State, up in the mountains, remains among the ranks of the unbeaten at 7-0 and with a trip to South Carolina among their remaining non-conference games. My question to you is this. To the degree that you watch, you know, beyond the Power Five, App State fans are wondering, hey, if we win the Sun Belt and we go undefeated and our non-conference wins include, remember, at Chapel Hill already happened over the Tar Heels, what if somehow they beat the Gamecocks in Columbia as well? They're thinking, man, we deserve a New Year's Six game as that representative yeah. from the group of five. And yet, as you know, SMU is 8-0 from the American. Uh, Cincinnati's a good team from the American. Boise of the Mountain West is in that mix. Memphis is 7-1 from the American and has a big game head-to-head -head against SMU. Would, would the 13-0 Mountaineers be able to be atop, atop that heap? Or will the Sun Belt's lower profile uh, put them at risk in that hypothetical of, you know, losing out to a 12-1 team from one of those other leagues? The best thing that could happen for App State, and this is going to sound really interesting, they'd open up one of those Tar Heel pop-up shops 
in Boone, and everyone needs to start pulling for the Tar Heels. <laughs> right? Seriously. Uh, True. Which is which is something that would probably be really difficult for App State <laughs> to do. Uh, <laughs> having lived in that territory, in that area, I know those colors don't run when it comes to the Mountaineers, and I respect them for that. Um, but they need to definitely be pulling for both South Carolina and North Carolina because the better those teams are at season's end, True. the more that's going to help their resume. But I do think Right now, it would be difficult to assume that a Sun Belt team, even with an unblemished resume and a win and a couple wins over Power Five teams, I still think they might need a little help because if SMU is undefeated, SMU yeah, is yeah. likely going to get the inside track there. So, granted, against a maybe a twelve and one Memphis team or a twelve and one Cincinnati team, I think they'd have a better chance. But against a an undefeated SMU, the American Conference champ, with how that league is kind of positioned and how that league showcased itself in recent yeah. years, they would be the team to beat. Well put. Yeah, 13-0 and versus 13-0 and is not going to favor the Mountaineers. 13-0 and versus 12-1, and you know, we'll see. Root for chaos elsewhere. Root for your Mountaineers to keep winning. And as Greg said, root for the Gamecocks and the Tar Heels to keep winning as well, except when the Gamecocks play app, of course. Hey, good stuff, man. Right. Uh, good luck for your <laughs> – Greg is doing, like, finance shows. He's doing sports shows. Uh, he's probably going to be be appearing in front of Congress soon. We don't know. Uh, you're a versatile guy, man. Thanks for <laughs> dropping more knowledge on us. Enjoy your trip to Winston-Salem this weekend. Thanks, DG. Have a good one, brother. You too. On Twitter, at Greg McElroy. He's on the call as another quarterback, Devin Leary, the redshirt freshman at, at NC State. Uh, assuming Jamie Newman – hello, Newman. Assuming Jamie Newman is back from his injury, and we don't know. Dave Clawson says if Jamie's ready, Jamie plays against the Wolfpack. And if Jamie's not ready, Jamie, of course, doesn't play. And it is last year's starter, Sam Hartman. The Deeks, to me, don't look nearly as good with Sam Hartman running the show. Uh, all due respect, he's a nice quarterback. Jamie, Hart Jamie Newman is a much better quarterback as I've seen it. In fact, at midseason, if I had to hand it in an all-ACC ballot, I respect the name and the potential of Trevor Lawrence at Clemson. But you don't hand, I don't hand in – there's no weight, none, zero, put on your pro prospects when I fill out my all-ACC ballot. To me, that's not kind of irrelevant. It is 100% irrelevant. It is not about what you might be. It is not about where you might be drafted. It's not about what team you're on or, or even that team's record as much as it is your contribution to winning football. Jamie Newman has been a better quarterback to this point than Trevor Lawrence of Clemson. Jamie Newman in Wake's 6-1 start has been a better quarterback than UVA's Bryce Perkins. Now, Perkins is really good, and the Tar Heels have to figure out a way to deal with him this weekend. He is the dual threat guy, probably the best at using his arm and legs to hurt you. But he's getting beat up behind a middling offensive line, and the Cavaliers are where they are far more because of their defense than because of their offense. Again, Perkins and Lawrence are good QBs. I would argue that Jamie Newman of Wake and Sam Howell of the Tar Heels have been even more central to their team's success. At Wake, it's not about a de it's not primarily about a defense that gave up 62 points to Louisville. It's not primarily about a good supporting cast. Jamie Newman made them great at times, and I hope he's healthy again soon. He is the number one reason that Wake is 6-1 and one, and perhaps on its way to one of its best win totals in program history. Remember that Jim Grobe team from 2006 that won the ACC title. That is where the bar is set in the history of Wake football. Double-digit wins, ACC championship, that's as good as it gets. They have a chance to get to double-digit wins, 6-1. and one. It'll be less complicated if Jamie Newman is truly healthy. 
You also get a look as Greg McElroy and Dave Pash have the call in Winston-Salem on Saturday at noon for ESPN. Devin Leary is Dave Doran's third starting quarterback. Now, he's played as a backup, but we went from Matthew McKay as Ryan Finley's successor, then Bailey Hockman for a couple starts. Neither of them did enough to elevate that Wolfpack offense. Devin Leary, as a redshirt freshman, may have the strongest arm, certainly has been more dangerous throwing downfield, and has put together some really impressive drives off the bench. Dave Doran gave Devin Leary all the first-team repetitions during their open week last week, so it's an exciting time, I think, for Wolfpack football. They have been mediocre to this point this season, but one of the biggest things weighing them down has been middling quarterback play. They haven't been embarrassingly bad at quarterback, but for a couple of ugly plays, they just haven't been very good. And if you rated the quarterback situations in the ACC from 1 through 14, after being at or near the top, for most of Dave Doran's era, given what Jacoby Brissett did, now the starter for the Indianapolis Colts, given what Ryan Finley did, give, now the starter for the Cincinnati Bengals, he was promoted over Andy Dalton just yesterday. That's five years worth of NFL caliber starting quarterbacks. And when the Wolfpack had that, they had pretty good offenses. And with Eli Drinkwitz as their coordinator and Ryan Finley as their QB the last three years, they had bowl teams. They had back-to-back nine-win seasons these last two years. With nice quarterback play, you're just a nice football team. With future NFL-caliber quarterback play, you're putting up nine-win seasons. Devin Leary, I think, has the highest ceiling of the three guys we've seen at NC State at the most important position on the field. He gets a chance to show his stuff on the road against a 6-1 and one Wake team that is – a good football team, but has shown vulnerability on defense. So that gives Devin Leary at least a chance to exploit some of those holes on the Deacons defense that Scott Satterfield and Louisville were able to exploit a couple weeks ago. 1-800-849-2761. Tim Kirkjian of ESPN will join us on a special day in Major League Baseball. Game six was crazy last night. A game seven will decide it all tonight, of course. The road team has won all six game games in the series that is now tied three games apiece that is the first time that has happened in any postseason series in the history of major league baseball the nationals won seven to two last night it is max scherzer assuming no more neck spasms on the hill against the astros zach Greinke, who has not been great in the postseason more on that matchup with tim kirkjian later this hour more of your phone calls we've got a little bit of everything we're trying to name the andre svechnikov goal last night from the Canes win over the Calgary Flames. We have Nechikov. Was it Nechnikov? You've been Svetched. And the Svechnetter was another nominee Ooh. from a little bit earlier. The Svechnetter? I don't know. Maybe we'll have something that rises up to the Sal Cal of figure skating or the T-bowing of the football world. 1-800-849-2761. What name should we give that sensational goal from behind the net scored by the Canes' Andrei Svechnikov last night? What song would you play as background music for the demise of the Arena Football League? That league was born in 1987, and it may have died earlier today. They were down six to six teams after peaking at 19 teams and even a development league long ago. We may be putting on the tombstone 2019 means the end. Gene Simmons of Kiss, Vince Neal of Motley Crue, and John Bon Jovi himself were among the high-profile team owners in the Arena League. What song with those guys in mind would you play as the background music if this truly is 
the demise of the AFL. 1-800-849-2761. Some of you want in on the Richard Burr tax scholarship concept which is a phenomenally bad idea for reasons I outlined last hour. College football is on our mind. The NFL is past its trade deadline. The Panthers host the Titans on Sunday. The NHL, the NBA, Duke plays an exhibition basketball game tonight. Coach K and more talented newcomers are on our radar. More on that story with more of your phone calls. 1-800-849-2761. The lines were jammed in our first hour. You can jump in now with your question, comment, or complaint about those headlines. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on The David Glenn Show. Rob Schneider joining us on The David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friends said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? That's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to The David Glenn Show. Some more of you want in on what I consider to be an inane, ridiculous, indefensible idea from North Carolina Senator Richard Burr who chimed in yesterday on the evolving NCAA model that we discussed earlier this week. He wants to weaponize the U.S. tax code against any college athlete who may dare to benefit financially from a free market for the name or image or likeness, video games, autograph sessions, endorsements, appearance fees, etc. More on that later with your questions and why I think it's just an outrageously inappropriate idea given the rest of the U.S. tax code where somehow he has been asleep at the wheel as all sorts of other irregularities continue to exist. And yet this is the one where he wants to draw the line in the sand. After decades of silence, about the NCAA becoming a multi-billion dollar industry, but no threat to their tax-exempt status. Some young people want access to the free market, and all of a sudden it is treated as severely as his proposal seems to think it should be treated. More on that later, your calls too. There is a human element in play tonight in Game 7 of the World Series on both sides of the starting pitching matchup. As we turn it over to Tim Kirkjian, one of the best in the baseball world from ESPN and ESPN.com, Max Scherzer, Washington's ace right-hander, was scratched from his scheduled start Sunday in D.C. because of neck spasms so bad that he couldn't even raise his right pitching arm and he needed his wife's help just getting dressed. He actually says he's good to go after getting a cortisone shot in his neck. That sounds unfriendly. And then he threw in the outfield yesterday, even warmed up in the bullpen during game six, although he was not ultimately needed as the Nationals stretched their lead to seven to two and then coasted in for that game six victory. Somebody's going to win tonight. Somebody's going to lose. The other half of the starting pitching matchup, Zach Grinke, right-handed veteran for the Astros, also a guy of accomplishment. He has bad postseason numbers. Scherzer has really good ones. And he's a guy who has actually shared publicly his battles with social anxiety and depression. When the Astros played the Yankees in the ALCS, there was even a fan ejected for getting too personal toward Greinke with his depression issues and his social anxiety issues. Mental health issues are no laughing matter, but I do wonder, how does Zach Greinke overcome such things 
while starting a Game 7 of the World Series? On a human level, I think that's a fair question. Tim Kirkjian will help us dive into what happened last night, a crazy Game 6, and what awaits us tonight. Hopefully a fun-filled Game 7 from ESPN. Tim Kirkjian, next on the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest is one of the best in the business of baseball. And Tim Kirkjian of ESPN, I think, would be the first to tell us, hey, DG, it's really about the Nationals at the Astros tonight. And I promise almost all my questions will be about Tim's baseball expertise. But I have to ask him as we, as we welcome to the show, Dan, Dan Lebitard treats Tim as not only a baseball expert, but almost like a really fun-filled circus sideshow. And I mean that in the best way possible. Meanwhile, if Scott Van Pelt tries to imitate Tim's accent, it sends Tim sometimes into laughing fits. Tim, at what point in your illustrious career did you go from baseball expert to all of these other things? Yeah, I'm not sure where that happened or <laughs> how that happened. I'm not sure I'm real happy that that happened. But uh, I think the lesson is uh, we're covering sports for a living. It's, we're supposed to enjoy this. It's okay to have a good belly laugh once in a while. Uh, I'm not covering politics or a war or an earthquake because I don't want to because it's too hard. I'm in the toys and games department, so <laughs> a good chuckle from good friends is always healthy, and I, hopefully it has not affected my credibility at all. <laughs> and if it has, uh, well, I guess I'm going to have to live with that. Well put. No, I don't think it has in all sincerity, and I've been loving baseball since the early 70s. I know you started covering baseball maybe in the later 70s, so uh, it hasn't changed me, my perception of you, only, uh, if any, in really good, fun ways. Tim Kirkjian is joining us from ESPN and ESPN.com. There are some interesting human elements in play that would perhaps be interesting to even those beyond the diehard baseball fan. How do you describe the Zach Greinke story as he's scheduled to start tonight? This is a guy who, when he was in New York, a Yankees fan was ejected for essentially mocking his battles with depression and his social anxiety. Doesn't get any bigger than Game 7 of a World Series. What can you tell us about his journey and how he deals with such things in the most pressurized environments? Well, he's a tremendous competitor, and his social issues – I don't think have anything to do when he gets on the mound. I think that's his place of comfort. I have complete faith that he'll pitch well in game seven. There is no chance that the atmosphere or the, the largesse of this game will overwhelm him. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, that doesn't mean he's going to pitch well tonight, but it's not going to be because he's not up for this. He's pitched a lot of big games in his career. He is not a Hall of Famer yet but he's got a chance someday to get there with a couple more good seasons. So we're talking about a very interesting fellow for a lot of years, very much an enigma, but also a very, very good pitcher. Given that Greinke is 0-2 with a 5-plus ERA and his scheduled opponent, Max Scherzer, in the postseason is 3-0 with about a 2.16 ERA, a lot of Nationals fans 
believe that they have the edge here. What do you know about Max Scherzer's physical status uh, two days after or three days after he had neck spasms that caused him to be uh, scratched from that scheduled start in D.C.? And what, two days after he got a cortisone shot in his neck? Yeah, well, first off, no one should be saying that anyone has an edge at any point in this series <laughs> because this series has made absolutely no sense on any level, which is what makes it such a great game and such a great World Series True. because about 20 things have happened that just make you slap your forehead and say, <laughs> how could that possibly happen? But to answer your question, we're not even sure how healthy Max Scherzer is. He couldn't even move his neck three days ago, and now he starts Game 7 of the World Series. Cortisone, obviously, is a magic formula here. I expect him to start. I'm not sure if he's going to be the great Max Scherzer or someone who only lasts two innings. This is a very, very interesting night, and I can tell you this. This is the first time that two uh, former Cy Young winners have faced off in Game 7 of wow. the World Series. Wow. And it's only the second time ever that a pitcher has pitched Game 1 and Game 7 of the World Series without pitching any any games in between. Joe McGrain did that in 1987. So this is uncharted territory in a lot of ways for baseball, but this whole series has been uncharted territory. If anybody was going to know those nuggets, I would have guessed that it was Tim Kirkjian who knew those nuggets. Speaking of making history, as you certainly know, this is the first time in any Major League Baseball postseason, not just the World Series, that the road team has won all six in this uh, series now tied at three. When you mentioned your long list of head-slapping moments, is that road warriors aspect, you know, number one on that list? And what else is near the top? Well, that's certainly near – that is the top of this crazy World Series list. Uh, close to the top is that Justin Verlander is the first pitcher ever to lose three potential clinching games in the same postseason. Wow. And Steven Strasburg is the only pitcher ever to go 5-0 and in the same postseason. And Adam Eaton is the only player ever to have a home run and a sacrifice bunt in two World Series games in the same postseason. There are about a hundred of these things. And then, of course, we watched two guys carry a bat to first base last night after a home run. I've never seen it happen once. It happened twice. And don't forget that Alex Bregman became the first third baseman ever to drive in five runs in a World Series game. And then three days later, Anthony Rendon did the same thing. <laughs> that is what is going on here. <laughs> Given our statewide audience here in North Carolina, we have a lot of NC State fans who remember the Nationals shortstop Trey Turner from his college days. Since Trey was involved in that crazy first base debacle and eventual ejection of the Nationals manager uh, and, and all sorts of other chaos, can you remind us what's the rule? Did they get it right? They, the rules, <laughs> so <laughs> confounding. I know. Technically, they got it right. You're not allowed to run on the inside part of the base of the line that far down the line. So the umpires indeed got it right. I think, however, they should not have called him out on that play. It is a judgment call. 
And in the judgment of the umpires, I felt like they should have said a bad throw is the reason he is safe at first, whether he ran on the inside of the line or not. And yet the rule emphatically states that the umpires got this right. And yet any, any common sense looks at that and says Trey Turner was directly in line with first base when he crossed the bag. I think the lesson is you just can't give the umpire a reason to call you out by running on the inside of the line. So don't do what Trey Turner did. And yet in the heat of the moment, as you're flying down the bag, you have to think of that. And he apparently didn't. And that's why the umpires called him out. I'm not sure if you cover the TV aspect of these things, but game one was a dud by World Series TV audience standards. Has the drama, has the six straight wins by the road team, has the just the fact that we're getting to a game seven, which usually helps TV ratings, has that changed the narrative about a sport that some see as on the decline among young people, but, but yet it's also still one of the most successful sports in, in, uh, in America right now? Well, it's a very low-rated TV series so far. And my hope is, since I love the game, is that last night saved this World Series and elevated it to a level that how can you not tune in tonight after the way the first six games have gone, after what last night brought, and after what tonight is going to bring, if nothing else, to watch and see what Max Scherzer is going to do, if not just him. So I, I think this is going to be... Not the best World Series I've ever seen, far from it. But as far as crazy, unusual things happening, um, this is pretty high on the list for me as far as stuff that just makes you wonder, like, what is going on here? Given your decades in this game, when you think of a 107-win regular season Astros team, and then I forget the exact number, but after the Nationals' slow start in that first chunk of the season, I mean, their winning percentage is insane since then. Uh, is this, you know, a high-level example of a World Series matchup given both teams' success since that point back in the spring? Absolutely. The two best records in baseball, starting with June the 1st, uh, are the Nationals and the Astros. So, ultimately, you could make a strong case two best teams in each league are here and that's what makes this so good it also is going to allow us to maybe reevaluate the value of a starting pitcher because both of these teams have yeah. great starting rotations when so many other teams in the game are going to openers and bullpen games um i, I think this series is going to do a lot of good in a lot of ways but i just can't wait to see what going to happen tonight because if it's in keeping at all with the rest of the series something remarkable is going to happen tonight last thing for tim kirkjian of espn follow him on twitter at kirkjian underscore espn do you you could probably write a book on this but as you continue to follow the baseball itself uh, changing from the regular season to the playoffs in some people's minds, but also that bigger picture, more strikeouts than ever for pitchers and batters, uh, but also more home runs than ever. Is that damaging to the game that you love and in, in, in have for so long, uh, or is it just a different variation than what you fell in love with long ago? 
Well, I'm going to love it no matter what, but I am I am worried about the strikeout rate. I am worried about the home run rate, and I am worried that there's not enough in between the home runs and the strikeout. And I'm hoping that baseball can at least examine the baseball in the offseason and see exactly what's going on here. Because when we have this many homers, we have every little guy in the league thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go deep here. If somehow there's a way to deaden the baseball a little bit, maybe then only the big-time power hitters, the errant judges of the world, hit home runs. And the little guys say, all right, I got to find another way. I got to get on. I got to make contact more. I got to put it in play. And maybe that will help to some small degree solve the all or nothing home run or strikeout era that we're in right now. My only disappointment is that we never got Tim to laugh. So we're just going to cut up. We're going to splice some audio for your, from your appearances elsewhere just so everybody gets to hear the Tim Kirkjian laugh. Thank you very much for your expertise here on the David Glenn Show. Hope you get to enjoy Game 7 tonight. Okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. You, you got it. On Twitter at Kirkjian underscore ESPN. I believe that uh, laughing audio is omnipresent, Darren, so if you need to find it, anybody who has followed Tim's career knows that whether it's Van Pelt or Levitard, he does have a captivating laugh, right? He just It's an infectious laugh. He's easy to make laugh, but we wanted to pull, you know, 10 minutes worth of baseball expertise out of him. Uh, We only get him to drop by from time to time. Well done, Darren Vaught, landing Tim Kirkjian on Game 7 day. More of your phone calls on the other side. Richard Burr of North Carolina, the senator, former Wake Forest football player, chimed in yesterday on the evolving NCAA amateurism model. And he, he has a proposal to actually weaponize the U.S. tax code against any college athlete who may dare to benefit financially from a free market under the new name, image, likeness rules that are scheduled to take effect in some form in 2021. I find it tone deaf. I find it outrageous. I find it inappropriate given how corporations are taxed and how the PGA Tour is tax exempt and how the NCAA is tax exempt. And yet he wants to make scholarships taxable for any athlete who chooses to benefit from that free market. I can't imagine a much more tone-deaf, inappropriate example of manipulating the tax code given the issues on which Senator Burr and others have been so quiet for so long. This seems like an outrageously inappropriate place to draw the proverbial line in the sand. You have questions and comments on that. If you'd like in, 1-800-849-2761. Meanwhile, we get, as basketball fans, a look at Duke tonight. Regular season begins next Tuesday. The number four Devils will take on number three Kansas in Madison Square Garden. That's a phenomenal number, uh, phenomenal doubleheader. Number one Michigan State against number two Kentucky, and then number three Kansas taking on number four Duke. Duke did not look great over the weekend in its other exhibition game. More on the Blue Devils, including the new five-star freshman that you'll get to know gradually in the weeks to come. Also, the NFL, college football, Week 9 and Week 10, respectively, await us. World Series Game 7 is fair game for your questions and comments. And we have some just-for-fun questions for you as a statewide audience. What name should we give the sensational goal scored from behind the net? by the Canes young star Andrei Svechnikov last night. You have to see it to believe it. Nechnikov, you've been Svetched and the Svechnetter. 
among the suggestions so far. Meanwhile, with the Arena Football League apparently pulling up stakes after 32 years of mostly being in business, that news came out earlier today, if it's truly dying this time, what song would we play as background music for the demise of the Arena League. Gene Simmons of KISS, Vince Neil of Motley Crue, and John Bon Jovi were among the team owners over the years of the Arena Football League that once got so successful it had 19 teams and an AF2 developmental league in smaller markets across our country. It had dwindled to six teams by the time it pulled up stakes just late yesterday. 1-800-849-2761. Uh, good suggestion on that one so far, Darren. Maybe the best we've had to this point. Uh, I, I forget the exact name of the song, but have you ever heard the Motley Crue song? Uh, it's Girl, Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure that that is really a Romeo and Juliet style breakup song. Right. A little bit more in your face. Isn't it a breakup song kind of? Yeah, Don't kind go of away, a, man. It's Just kind go of away. a, uh, it, like, get the out of here song, right? <laughs> but at least it was a Motley Crue song. We will accept Kiss, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi, or other songs, given that those guys owned AFL teams. 1-800-849-2761. A whole lot of people are riled up about the Richard Burr NCAA stuff. It's just a proposal for now, a horribly bad one that hopefully will die a miserable death. That's what it deserves, but we can debate it if you like at 1-800-849-2761. Your phone calls on the other side. We're glad you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Interesting question from Stewart on Twitter. DG, I have a question about this new college athlete money issue. I used to work in college sports at a low level. I get the dollars from video games, et cetera, but what keeps this situation from becoming my booster has more money than your booster? I'm not sure that's what's intended if we open the door to this third-party money on name, image, likeness issues, but I can see that happening. I brag about our statewide audience a lot. It's astute questions like Stewart's that gives me that kind of pride. We'll tackle it on the other side. Calvin wants in from Winston-Salem. Steven is in Surf City. Love when we get calls from the coast. Love it. Wish I were there some days. Brian and Bun, Bun Level, North Carolina, is going to drop by. Robert is in Raleigh. Tim Kirkjian on baseball in the books. Greg McElroy of ESPN as well on college football in the books. I have thrown a hatchet through the proverbial forehead of Richard Burr's horrendous idea about taxing scholarship money for any youngster that would dare to try to make money off of his name, image, or likeness in this new, mark, new free market proposal that'll take place in the NCAA supposedly by 2021. You have questions. Hopefully I have some answers. We'll talk other sports too next. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for that? Right. That's right. Bette Midler. There we go. You are the wind beneath my wings. Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. You 